This is the Shelbourne Knee Center Podcast. This is Dr. Benner, and tonight we're going to be talking about donor site strength progression and subjective outcomes after contralateral ACL reconstructions. One of the questions that I get asked most often about contralateral is, aren't you worried about hurting the donor site? What if you have a problem in the donor knee? Now you've caused a problem in a knee that was otherwise normal. And I hope to be able to dispel some myths around that uh, as far as how long anything you know untoward happens to the, to the graft knee and what the ultimate function is around the graft knee. With me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Scott Bauman. Thanks for coming on tonight, Scott. And uh, we'll get ready to roll here in just a minute on this uh, on this study. Yeah, I think this will be a great episode tonight. This is something that I think will go off of the contralateral series that we had when we had Dr. Shelbourne and Bill on discussing the rationale for doing a contralateral and then Bill touching on the the rehab for the contralateral. And as if you listen to those episodes, and, and if not, you can go back to earlier on in the podcast series to, to catch up on those. But what we talk about on the contralateral graft is really splitting those two goals between the two different knees. So on the ACL reconstructed side, we're going to be working on maximizing range of motion, getting extension back to normal equal to the other side and progressing flexion in the first two months and then keeping swelling down. And the nice thing is because we're not taking the graft from that knee, there's really no strengthening we have to work on in the immediate time point after surgery. All of that is really with the graft side. So we take the graft from the contralateral side and that motion is full because you're not having any swelling and you're not inside the joint to cause that swelling to lose that range of motion. And then we can work on strengthening right away. And I think tonight will be a great way to highlight the progression of that graft donor site because as you mentioned, uh, a lot of pushback whether it be from a patient or a clinician that has some questions about the contralateral approach, is why harm the non-involved or the normal side by harvesting that graft side if you don't have to. And, and I think this will be a good way to show that the, the morbidity can be low and the strength progression can be good. If you want to listen to those earlier episodes, we did a three-part series about contralateral grafts or ACL reconstruction. Feel free to check that one out. And also, feel free to check out last week's episode. We had a really good discussion about robotics and total knee replacement, and we had Dr. Jim Ballard from Portland, Oregon on to talk about that. Uh, got a lot of good feedback and had a lot of downloads on that one. So that was one of our best podcasts I think we've had. So uh, go ahead and take a look at that. As always, you can hit us up on our socials on Facebook and Instagram and uh, and Twitter at the SKC Podcast, or you you can email us at the SKC podcast at gmail.com. Scott, this, uh, this topic today is an important one, as we talked about before, and it's all based on a paper that Dr. Shelbourne did a couple of years back entitled anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction with contralateral autogenous patella tendon graft evaluation of donor site strength and subjective results. And Dr. Shelbourne was the lead author on this along with, uh, Matt Beck, who was a, a resident that worked on it with him, as well as Tinker Gray, who was in Scott's position for about 30 years working with Dr. Shelbourne. And this study was published in American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2015. Scott, just kind of set the background for this, uh, what we'd hope to learn from this article and what we knew and didn't know before this article hit press. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, in the intro here. The rationale for doing this paper is is really to answer some of the questions that people have when discussing the contralateral graft, and it is, why do you take the graft from a healthy knee? And I think we've highlighted the the benefits of doing that from a rehab standpoint, but for the rationale specifically for this paper is really trying to answer some questions and, and give some data behind the the questions about morbidity. So I, I think most people will answer that question of, uh, you know, why take a graft 
from a healthy knee. Most surgeons that may be unfamiliar with the approach really point towards the morbidity of, of doing just that, whether that would be pain on the front of the knee, especially with kneeling, uh, loss of sensation, tenderness, you name it. Uh, but another main factor can be loss of strength. And I think everybody would agree that taking a graft, taking a patellar tendon graft from either side is going to decrease your strength, at least initially. And then the question is, why do that to a normal knee? So I think a lot of people that uh, have some misunderstanding can point to the morbidity for those reasons. And and what this study does is is looking at the at two things. It's going to be looking at the strength progression for that donor site, as well as some subjective results, really to try to answer those questions and, and try to combat those papers that show morbidity on the graft harvest site. I really think it's really difficult to understand what the kind of special sauce is with the contralateral if you don't understand what happens with the graft knee and the ultimate outcome that you get with the graft knee. You know, people want to know, are we going to lose range of motion? Are we going to have symptoms that we didn't previously have? Are we going to lose strength? Are we going to have problems down the road? And and that's what we really were going for with this study. So tell us about the methods for this study and uh, kind of how we set it up. So the methods for this study, we looked at patients between 2007 and 2009, so a, a two or three year time stretch here, and found 279 patients that met the criteria for having an ACL reconstruction with a patellar tendon graft from the contralateral side. And like we do in, in a lot of our other studies for the exclusion criteria, we're taking out bilaterals, taking out patients that have arthritic changes. And for this particular study, we wanted to have a minimum of two year follow-up. So 279 patients met that criteria. And we control matched them with a group that had a ipsilateral patellar tendon graft just to see what those strength progression and subjective differences were. And there ended up being 58 patients in the ipsilateral patellar tendon graft group. As far as the rehab goes for these two groups, they're following very similar rehab protocols with the emphasis being full and maximum hyperextension equal to the other side on that ACL reconstructed side, whether that be contralateral or ipsilateral. And then for the ipsilaterals, we're going to start that strengthening process of that graft tendon usually after the flexion is full. So between two and three months is generally when we start strengthening for that ipsilateral side. And then as we know from the contralateral episodes that we've had, with the benefit of the contralateral graft is being able to start immediate strengthening on that graft donor site the next day after surgery. And from an objective standpoint, what we did with these patients was we looked at a minimum two-year isokinetic quadriceps strength on the Cybex test, and we looked at that a couple different ways. The first way we wanted to look at it was a comparison to pre-op normal, and we considered normal the non-involved side prior to surgery. So nothing was wrong with that knee prior to surgery, and we had a good basis of comparison postoperatively. And the other aspects of strength that we looked at was mean side-to-side -side strength to get a limb symmetry index between the ipsilateral and contralaterals with that reflected as a percentage with the ACL reconstructed side over the opposite knee. And then lastly, we, look, we looked at some subjective scores of the IKDC on that graft donor site and compared that to the ACL done with an ipsilateral graft. All right, Scott, and what kind of results did we get from that? Let's start, uh, let's just take those sequentially. First, starting with the uh, quad strength. What differences did we find with the ipsilateral versus contralateral groups, and uh, where did that donor knee end up? So the first metric we, we discussed was the comparison of pre-op normal, and again, that's comparing it to the opposite normal side prior to surgery. And what we found was that the contralateral ACL side had the highest strength value when you compare it to pre-op normal at 116% of that value. This was followed next in line by the contralateral donor knee at 114%, and the lowest strength value of these three was the ipsilateral ACL reconstructed side at 105%. So I would say all, all three ended up doing pretty well in that they were over 100% of their pre-op normal at that minimum two-year time point. 
But this specific metric showed that the ACL side on the contralateral patients was the highest strength value at 116%. Now, when we flip that and we look at a side-to-side measurement and look at that percentage strength from the ACL reconstructed side to the opposite side, whether it be ipsilateral or contralateral, we see a benefit with the contralateral side. And the contralateral patients were showing to be 98.6 from a limb symmetry index standpoint compared to 92.9. And that was statistically significantly different at 0.01, again, favoring that contralateral side. So we do see an advantage in terms of gaining strength compared to the opposite knee, as well as gaining strength compared to pre-op normal, as both of those metrics were statistically significantly different, favoring those contralateral patients. Now, going back to the rationale of the study, the whole reason why we do this is we want to look at not only the strength progression, which I think this paper does a pretty good job of showing that the the advantage lies in the, the contralateral patients, specifically with that graft donor site, but also we want to show that there's there's low morbidity or, or hopefully no morbidity due to taking the graft from that contralateral side. And when looking at the two-year IKDC score, we find pretty good contralateral donor site scores at 92.4. And that compares favorably to the not only the ACL side of the contralaterals, but as well as those ipsilateral sides. And speaking of these subjective scores, some other scores that we have, we mentioned the contralateral paper that we had published a couple of years ago. We looked at the Cincinnati knee ratings score and found very similar metrics with the graft donor site at minimum two years being 95.6. And again, that compared favorably to the ACL side, which was still doing pretty well at that two years at 92.4. That continued in that paper at the five-year metric, where the ACL side of the contralateral graph was 88.3 compared to 94.1 for the graph side and contralateral patients. So overall, I think what this study shows is it shows a good progression, again, favoring the contralateral side, specifically with that donor site strength, as it shows to have good limb symmetry, as well as strength compared to that pre-op normal, while having low morbidity, which is evident by the good IKDC score at minimum two years. And both of those are statistically significant. So I think it's a pretty clear result there that if you want to get your strength back to normal, you're more likely to get it and maybe even exceed your pre-op strength if you use a graph from the opposite knee. And when it comes to limb symmetry index, you're more likely to get your strength back to side-to-side comparison uh, as close to normal as you can get if you take a contralateral graph. So some specific strength advantages uh, that we're able to show there. And that, that the morbidity, as you said, is pretty low. We also looked at a frequency distribution. I think sometimes it's a little bit difficult to just look at means and say, well, the mean is 98% versus 92%. Both both of those seem like they're like they're pretty good. However, when you really break it down to how many people, what percentage of people got all the way back to normal within 10% of the opposite side or within 20% of the opposite side, that that does show a little bit of a difference. So Scott, talk about what the frequency distribution was among those groups, the contralateral group versus the ipsilateral group, as far as getting that limb symmetry index within 10%. Yeah, that's a great point because when we talk about frequency distributions, we usually make the cutoff uh, around clinical findings or, or what we really aim for as a clinical goal of trying to get the patient to. And I think most people would agree that getting a patient within 10% side to side is going to be that good metric in terms of progressing them to the next stage or even progressing them back to sport. So when looking specifically at the metric of having less than a 10% difference side to side with their quad strength, the patients that had a contralateral graft were able to achieve that. 71% of the time compared to the ipsilateral group, which was 58% of the time. And then if you broaden that goal or, or broaden that metric that we put them into with the frequency distribution and open it up to within 20% difference side to side, 
you show an even a larger group of patients with 91% of patients that had a contralateral graft falling inside that 20% difference. And that compares favorably to the ipsilateral group, which was showing that 87% of patients fall within that. So whether you look at averages like we discussed, or as you mentioned, looking at this from a frequency distribution standpoint, I think this does favor those contralateral patients over ipsilateral. And that's something I really learned from Tinker, who's on, who's a, an author on this study, Tinker Gray, that was that was in our research department for three decades, uh, churning out a lot of papers with Dr. Shelbourne. That I really was able to learn from her that if you just look at the means themselves, sometimes they don't look like they're altogether that different. But if you think about it, when a patient is seeing you in the clinic, there it's not that every single patient is. 98% side to side limb symmetry and every single uh, for the contralateral group and every single ipsilateral patient is 92% side to side. That doesn't happen in every patient. So you have to look back at how many patients really get those clinical goals that we want of within 10% side to side. And you, and you see that, that when you put it in that kind of a context, which we actually see in the, in, in, when we're taking care of our patients, uh, the frequency distribution really illustrates the differences between those groups and the advantages that contralateral really gives us. So Scott, as we look at this data in, uh, in, in total and try to kind of put a bow on this, what do you think are really the take-home points of this study and this discussion about the graph side donor knee and contralaterals? Well, I, I think the, the take-home is fairly obvious. You know, it's in the title. It's looking at the strength progression or, or the strength results of that donor site, which really answers the question to a lot of clinicians and patients that really have a, uh, a lack of understanding with this contralateral graft. And, and the name of the game is what does the strength look like and what is the morbidity for these patients? And I think highlighting the importance of, of both of those, uh, most most notably with the strength, you know, me coming from a physical therapy perspective, that's one thing that we see as really a struggle with therapists out there and trying to get quad strength back, especially with patellar tendon grafts. But, you know, you name it with what graft you're using, quad strength is always a difficult metric to to attain in terms of getting back to normal and the contralateral approach I, I think really really shines in the ability to get patients back from a limb symmetry index standpoint as well as getting them back to the pre-op normal which this study really highlights both of those aspects great stuff on this study and uh shout out to dr shelbourne and tinker for putting a lot of this stuff together that we've been beneficial to be able to to, to learn from over time this is you know they, they have thought about acl surgery and recovery and contralateral ipsilateral graft side patella tendon grafts in in more ways than than i could have ever could have ever thought of over the course of the last three decades so this is a study that uh answers a significant question that a lot of people ask us about and i'm, and I'm glad that they did it so one other thing before we get further into this episode, I wanted to, to mention the or highlight the importance of the fact that this was a minimum two-year study. When we've talked about contralateral grafts, whether it be on the podcast or with other clinicians or patients, we usually highlight the fact that the contralateral approach really has its advantages in the early time point after surgery, meaning we do the contralateral because we want to work on strengthening immediately while we're working on ACL range of motion and swelling. And we're able to get limb symmetry back faster. That usually in turn leads to a faster return to sport time, getting back to pre-injury levels, those types of things. So most of the time we talk about the advantage of contralaterals is in that early time point in the first, let's say, four to six months after surgery. So I do think it's important to highlight the fact that this was a minimum two-year paper. So the strength results as well as the subjective results are minimum two years, and you still see those advantages with the contralateral compared to the ipsilaterals. Of course, as always, we have to notice and uh, highlight any limitations that there are with this study. What does this study not answer, and what are some unanswered questions uh, after this evaluation? So, Scott, talk about a little bit of uh, the uh, the limitations of this study. 
Well, the first one uh, in the study design, it was a retrospective study, which a retrospective study is always going to bring some inherent biases to the table that a prospective study would not. We have a long-term data collection uh, database set up, so we're, we're set up for a retrospective study to look at these long-term long-term data points. But again, that is something that we need to recognize as a limitation of the study. Another limitation that we want to know is the follow-up rate. We had a follow-up rate in this particular study at 62%, which is below the standard that you want to shoot for, which is roughly 80% with a study of this nature. As everybody knows, with clinical research, it can be difficult to have follow-up, especially in a setting like we're in, where we're really focused on patient care first and foremost, and, and we do re research really after the fact, and we try to follow th with these patients long-term, and a lot of our patients live outside of uh, the Indianapolis area. Getting those patients back for long-term follow-up can sometimes be a challenge. So 62%, we feel, was a, a, a good representation of the patient cohort, even though it was below that 80% standard. And then the last limitation is be, is going to be in the subjective scoring system. We use the IKDC for this one, which is validated in the ACL literature. However, it is not validated for the donor site specifically. So looking at the opposite side of the ACL reconstruction is not something that the IKDC has really been validated to do. However, given the nature of the questions, we felt like it was a good metric that we wanted to use to get subjective function of that donor site. Great point there as well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for joining us today to talk about the donor knee. Uh, please check out our previous series on contralateral. If you have more interest in this topic, we did cover it in a three-part series. And also last week's episode about robotic robotics and total knee replacement was a great one. Make sure to check those out. If you do check out other previous episodes and this one, you want to leave us a comment and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. Don't forget to hit that follow button so you don't miss any of our further content, uh, which we put out every week. Uh, tune in next week for another episode of the Shelbourne Knee Center podcast. If you want to hit us up on our socials, we have a Shelbourne Knee Center Facebook and YouTube page that you can find. You can find us on Instagram and and Twitter uh, at the SKC podcast, or if you want to email us and ask us a question, email us at the, uh, the SKC podcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll hear from you again next week. Mm -hmm.